Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Wednesdays with Wombat with your host, Toby McKinnon. Welcome back. It's Trot's Life. Toby McKinnon in the chair for a Wednesday, as I always am. And our next guest comes to us from across the ditch in New Zealand. I assume he's over there. He might actually be in Melbourne. I'm not sure. Graham Anderson. Graham, how are you and whereabouts are you today? I'm great, thanks, Toby. Yes, well, I'm in New Zealand. I'm not fortunate enough to get across here. You know, the hard-working horse trainer scenario, so... Yeah, I won't be there, but we'll be watching, as you can well imagine, yes. <laughs> I can well imagine. So yeah, yeah. we'll get to Spirit of St. Louis, I think. But uh, first of all, uh, I've got some housekeeping. I did mention this to you off air, but Diane Riley was our first guest. As she said to say day to you, who's... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. She's not your only friend or acquaintance you've made through harness racing that's in Australia. Yeah, that is true. That is true. We've spent a lot of time in Australia over the years selling horses to people and... Um, We've had some very good acquaintances and a lot of success, and that's obviously you keep selling horses and meeting nice people with you if they have success, and um, that's the key to it. Yeah, hundred percent. Let's let's yeah. wind it back a little bit, though, Graham. I want to get a sense of where you got to, where you are today. I don't think harness racing was in the family blood as such. No, it was not. Um, my father came home back from the Second World War. And he lived in Riverton, which is a right down the end of the South Island, and it was a thoroughbred stronghold, and um, we were introduced to racing through thoroughbreds uh, and um, play a bit of sport, that type of thing, and just ended up wandering into harness racing because I got, obviously we got too big to be a jockey, I suppose. So, um, And that's how it started, really. We uh, just potted around, got a trip to America on a horse plane to, to help a few people out, and, um, and it sort of started from there. So we started selling horses to America, Canada and then to Australia, so it's been a, a long, long road. It's been 30-odd years doing, and um, and the horse training sort of fell into a, into it because I had a couple of horses for clients in Australia that they didn't want to um, didn't want to take back and race immediately, so I just had a little property, so I put a little track down and just looked after them for them, and um, basically that's how it started, yes. <laughs> yeah, so there's a little... You touched on a couple of things there, and... Uh, you you played rugby for a long time when uh, and and coached rugby as well, which would have been involved in training people for rugby and also training thoroughbreds. And I'm always interested to hear from people, you know, how that's crossed over into your training of harness racing horses. Yes, very much so. I think it's a, it's a key to it. Uh, having no formal background in training, I had to use all my. Um, listening and learning skills and adapting things we did and some of the bad things we did training for, for those other sports, especially rugby, and take that across to the the the, uh, the harness and some of the thoroughbreds I trained just to, to know that you didn't, shouldn't overtrain a, an athlete just before you're going to race him, basically. So it all did help very much so, yes. So in a sense, like in, in Aussie rules terms, we, we train really hard in the pre-season, what we call the pre-season, but then... 
and we get ourselves absolute peak fitness before we actually hit competition. And then basically during competition, it's just it's just about maintaining that and being at peak uh, and fresh for each race or for each each game or race. Yeah, very much so. And the same for rugby union. Obviously, we don't play a lot of um, Australian rules rugby over here, but <laughs> yeah, um, we yeah. watch we watch it intently. Uh, we spend a lot of time in Melbourne doing thoroughbred and standard racing and went, went to, always went to the Australian Rules games with Mick Kent, the galloping trainers and things like that. So that was good fun. Yeah. But yes, definitely get, get, do, your, do your workload and then just leave, leave, the, leave the animal, the human being alone and just allow them to recuperate week to week and stay fresh. And it's very similar, very similar to the horses, yes. Now, I've went through a lot of your horses and you've had a lot of horses win only a couple of races for you as such, but they've gone on to be really, really nice horses. Probably going right back to to a horse called Bon Voyage. He came over here and and ran in an Inter Dominion series as well. Yeah, that was a long time ago. He was the original original one to come from us to go over there. Yep, I think I sold him to Mark Hughes, who was you probably might know Mark Hughes from over your way. He was dealt with a lot of the horses. Now works a bit of does a bit of work for Alabar, but um, yeah, he he organised that one and I bred that one. I think so. Um, yeah, that's going back a while. So uh, you had Terraway also, I reckon, at one stage. Yep. He came over yep, here. He ran an intermediate series as well. He won a Blacks of yep. Fake and a Cranbourne Cup. Beaten's... He did. Yep. He did. He he was one of the originals. Um, I, I bought him as a yearling, and uh, I think I gave him six starts for six wins, and John yep. McCarthy bought him, hence the um, tight with Luke. Uh, yeah, he bought him, and he, he did. He won a... I think he might have won, actually won about 17 in a row before he tasted defeat um, because he obviously went across to oh, know, quite a good mark to... Um, John was up in Br- Brisbane in those days at uh, Logan Village area. And um, and then he... Yes, he did. He won a Cranbourne Cup and he won a... a yeah, it was the Blake to Fake, I think, or something like that. One of those good, yep. good ones up there. And, um, yeah, he was a very successful horse. Um, and at the moment, Diane Riley and I are racing his half-brother called Celebrating, who... Jason Grimson's got down at um, Daniel by one race very nicely the other night, so the continue it still continues. Yeah, so so that I'll get to that shortly. You've always been selling these horses, but I think more recently you've decided to keep a share in a couple. In like you just mentioned, celebrating and of course Spirit of St Louis as well. What's do you, the interest in keeping a share in them now? What's uh, triggered that? I think that? so. I think so. yeah, yeah. Also, um, can't find a better man. He's one we've kept kept, and uh, and I've got a lovely two-year-old. I've, I've just seen a cross called Spirit of Arion. He's a sweet little out of a, the same family, sort of a three-quarter brother to Spirit of St Louis, and he's he's over at Luke's now. So we've kept him as well. I just um, because. I mean, no trainer likes to get a horse going and then then lose him, but we're pretty pragmatic about it and know the um, stake money's better, um, the handicap and conditions are better, and um, at the end of the day, I guess we all watch a fair bit of racing on TV these days, and so we um, we get to watch as much as we can um, from Australia anyway. So uh, I've got a good client background and they've all got plenty more money than me and but they only like to travel and go to the races and so they don't care when they jump on a plane and go to Auckland or, or Melbourne or Brisbane or Sydney wherever wherever that might take them so it's to me it's not a big deal it's uh it's to give the horses their best opportunity and um yeah and that's why we're doing it and uh, we've been very successful over the years doing it so it's I'm happy it's continuing 
Well, what, what, where is this success stemming from where you're breeding these horses, you're working them up, and I've got a funny feeling it's to do with where you train at Wingatui at Westwood Beach. So tell us a bit about how you train the horses there. Yeah, well, we, we buy most of them. I don't do a lot of breeding. I might have breed some a little bit earlier on, but at the moment, at right now, and over the last sort of decade or so, we've, I've bought the yearling sales pretty pretty well. I thought, you know, we haven't paid a lot, a lot of money for some of them, um, including Tyson Banner and Amon Maguire, who went on to be Group 1 horses, and you say yeah. Tearaway was one you mentioned already. So, uh, and we just get them broken in up in Christchurch. A friend of mine up there does them, and, he, and they turn them, out and they give them two or three preps before they come to me because the beach is good. It um, does take a lot of your time and and um, and having you know early morning tides and late late afternoon tides, which are a pain in the butt sometimes. But the young horses have to go around the track, so they don't come to me until they're um, they're pretty settled in what they do. And and um, we just straight line them and uh, yeah, nothing special. It's been done for a long time beach training and uh, and I think if if it it can hold their legs together a bit more and it doesn't affect their joints as young horses. I guess that's probably the best thing. Um, yeah. I don't think it makes a heck of a lot of difference to how good they're going to be, but it certainly looks after their bodies. You don't think that, well, you've touched on their leg, looks after their legs as young horses, but that that working in the beach, you know, like you see football football trainers and there was a really famous uh, trainer of athletes named Percy Serity here that in Australia that trained 1,500 metre, 3,000-metre runners for a long time and he always trained people on the beach to give them that harder workout. You don't think as younger horses getting that harder sort of workout is slowly maturing them into stronger horses? Yeah, well... Maybe. I don't use the deep sand a whole lot. I mean, I know there's big stories about Western Australian trainers getting in the deep sand and galloping. We, I don't use the deep sand. We just use this, the, the nice sand, which is just sort of on down by the waterside. And we, we've got the long straight runs, which is good. Yeah. Well, where I work, it's probably a two-mile, two-and-a-half-mile straight run, and, uh, and which, is, which is very advantageous. But I don't do a lot of heavy um, sand work with them. I can't find the tent that they... Um, can get a little bit muscle sore in the deep sand and that sort of thing. And um, But I just think it's just allowing them to go in a straight line and mature, the joints mature. I mean, I think um, that's just going back to what we were talking about other other sports. Yeah. Uh, you tend to look after, their, look after their legs and their bodies when they're younger and they, they, they play or race for a longer period of time. Yeah, yeah, like an 18, 19, 20-year-old rugby player, you just look after them nice so they can yeah. be at their best for longer between 23 and 28. Yeah, and, it's been, and I, you mentioned before about doing a little bit of um, rugby training. Well, I, I've coached a little bit of the, of the local team down here at Mosgiel, and we had a lot of luck, but and I hadn't, didn't have a lot, lot of formal coaching skills. I just used what I thought of... of um, you know, like, well, lucky I had enough experience to advise the kids how to play, what to do, and what the best way was to win a game of, of such. But just to look after them, and um, some of the young fellows that left high school that today want to go straight into playing big time rugby, I was good enough to just better mention to them that it's just not that quite that simple. You go into a hardened area, um, and it's like a two year old going winning about fourteen races and going straight into a free fall race. It just doesn't work, does it? So, no, no. As much as as they've got the ability, they've just got to have that hardened attitude and experience before they attack those things. And it's, as I said before, it's a similar situation, and um, and it's worked okay with us. So we'll just stick to do what we're doing, you know. 
Going back to the beach, how do you know what times you run and how oh, far? Well, we just, well, what we do is we, we, we just have um, we have little geographical areas. But we, we try to get all scientific and put in a couple of um, furlongs and half-mile posts and then some of the greenies would come and take them away or the, <laughs> we get a high tide and it would, would, it would um, wash it away. So yeah, yeah. we end up just doing geographical and then take the watch and it took a while and then we'd get back and do heart rates and um, a second heart rate just to see. And then we learned from that really and write it down in the book. So um, we knew um, if we had a decent horse and they could, their heart rate was such such after they'd work from, from one p- pillar to another well at the end of recovery rate. That's how we sort of started it. So we, we've been doing it for 20 odd years out there. So we've sort of got to know without hurting them much, you know. They, so yeah, they, they yeah. just go easy for a start and then we just, we take their heart rates and say, well, that's, that's what they can do at this stage. And then we'll increase the tempo um, and that sort of thing as we go. So it's a bit of a, originally it was a bit of a pick and a poke, but now we've got it reasonably perfected. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we don't have those. Yeah, we, we can't say we've worked a mile and a half in such and such a time, but we know how we've worked, who we've worked. We can go back to the diary and just say, well, yeah, yeah. Um, look, this is what we worked here and that's that's what we should be doing. So that's sort of, sort of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Spirit of Saint something. Is it Louis or Lewis, according well, to it's you? Well, it's it depends. If he's winning, you can call him anything you like, you know? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I think we called him Louis, but then, I mean... I mean, the songs take me to St. Louis, but then the then the city's St. Louis, isn't it? So I don't know. So it's just a it's whatever you want it, really. What? Why was that name? Did you name him, or did Trevor Casey name him, the breeder? Well, I or think was, I think Trevor had named him. Yeah. So Trevor got him. I got him off Trevor because he was he was the first of the Sweet Lou's, um, and of course Sweet Lou arrived with, with a pretty good uh, race record, but he was only a little fella, whereas Sweet Lou himself was a big, strong bloke, and I dare say. But had he been a big, powerful-looking colt, Trevor would have put him into the yearling sale. So, um, but because he's only quite slight, we got him. He gave it to me, so I broke him in, and um, and got him going that way. Uh, and he was always a beautiful horse, like uh, what he lacked in size. He was made up in presence and and little and high speed and good gait. So um, that's how. So he was named when we got him here. Yeah, that so. So Trevor named him, yeah. So he's had a spirit of art, of course, so here for, and, and by Sweet Lou, so it probably wasn't that difficult. Oh, yeah, true. What? Yeah. yeah. He didn't race as a two-year-old? Was that just that slightness no. still? Oh, I just didn't didn't bother with him. We we sort of gave him a couple of preps at the, at the breakers, and when I got him, I just bowled him around. We were still able to go to Fulbury Park in those days. And, and um, yeah, he was a late two-year-old, really. He was very early as a three-year-old. I think it was August of his three-year-old career. He, he just went the races in because we didn't have a whole lot of racing, two-year-old racings around this way, unless you're a size stakes or a, or a, um, you're a Magic Millions horse. There's just not much point, which is which is quite quite a good thing, really. But he could have raced it early, a bit earlier, but it just wasn't much point. Um, so he, he won his first race, as a, I think, in the first week as a, as a three-year-old in August at War. And, um, yeah, he was pretty impressive that day. He left the gate nicely and... Um, and led, and um, and he just left them to, to it. So he's always had the ability. He was just seemed like he was just below him, though, as a three and four year old. There, the best ones, probably trained that way. I, as a three year old, I um, we won, we won a few. We won that race school. Then we went on. We won the South and the White Tacky on New Zealand Trotting Cup. They were free for all day, show day, and won that race. Uh, 
but we didn't take on. You know, it's it's hard taking on those the burdens as such when they've got about five or six yeah. top line horses racing against you. Uh, so we just waited for him, and he was actually quite good. He he went to Addington and won a very nice race there as a three year old, and came home and, and got a little bit sick, and that's why he didn't quite measure up at the end of his three year old career because we were just probably chasing a couple of races that we we couldn't probably shouldn't have tried to get to because of his um. He yep. just got a bit sick and didn't quite. So in the finish, we just turned him out, um, and um, and then a deal was struck to um, to go to Australia. So I think we sold half of him and kept half of him, and so that's why that happened. But he, he was he was I thought he was up to it, but I just don't like push putting them in where they where they they're going to get hurt. And I always knew that down the track, as he grew into it, grew up, he he was going to be a a real top line competitor at some stage. So that was probably the reason why. So winning the Queensland four-year-old championship not long after coming to Australia was no real surprise to you then? Well, no, it wasn't. But what, 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 he, he, the good thing is when he got over there, um, and he, he was able to go to Goulburn, I think, first up. and win a <laughs> Dollar 85. And, yeah, that's right. Well, oh. the thing was he could go there and win, and he had no pressure on, and he got get back to his winning ways. And that's one of the great things about Australian racing. You, you, you can go there and you can find a race. And get a win um, in New Zealand. He wouldn't have been able to find. He wouldn't have been able to find that race at all. He'd have been race, racing right against the best horses and had to go on. Yeah, yeah, you know. And and that's and that's just um, where well, you're so good, you guys. It's just a great place to race a horse, and you have all these wonderful tracks you can go to in the country. And uh, and it's one of the reasons why we go back to our original talk is, is why our horses are over there now because we yeah. just get opportunity and. I mean, geographically at the moment, where I am, since they've decided um, to t- t- finish with Forbury Park, we had 10 hours to go to the trials. You know, that's getting pretty difficult. If you take off in the morning to go, you've got to go three hours to find a track that they, you can officially trial on. Um, and then you've, you're there at the, the, the trials, and then you've got to come come home. Yeah. So it's, it's a 10 hours. It's just, it's it's pretty difficult. Uh, so only only the patient can survive, so to speak. Can he win Saturday night? Um, if you'd have asked me that after he won the mile heat, I'd have said yes. But, of course, he was a little bit disappointed the other day, whether he just didn't back up or he had a little bit of a niggle, I'm not sure. But all the, seemingly all the tests have been done and he's fine. So uh, he's got a nice barrier draw, but then, uh, then the favourite's drawn too, so it makes it difficult. Uh, look, if he was at his best, he could win because Jack Halligan's given him some blessed, blessed trips on the big occasions, and there's no reason why he won't do it again on Saturday night. But, uh, I, think, I think you'd like to see him, say, sitting 1-1 one, one at the 350-metre uh, mark and peeling three wide and getting every chance, though. Yeah, not not um, not having not having the easy gate speed, which he, which he has got. But, um, yeah, I mean, even from four, if you want to cross the, the three inside you, it's going to be tough. Diane's hardly going to give me the lead, and I don't think... Um, <laughs> I don't think... The, <laughs> The two horse will hand up without without a without two. So yeah, if you if you find a nice sit, that'd be good. But um, hey, let's let's who knows? It's an intermediate grand final, and ever, since when we were kids, it's been the greatest race. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm just pleased it's back to the um, to where it should be, and being being a great contest, and half a dozen horses having a chance to win it. 
100%. Graham, uh, best of luck on Saturday night. And uh, rest assured, uh, Diane was the nicest person I ever spoke to until it got to the competitive part about I cast no shadow, whether it leads or not. And then she turned on me. I think she might have white light fever. You know what? She would have been good in a scrum, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon she would have been. Yeah, I wouldn't, like she, she, she's not very big, but she, she probably would have been a scrum half, I think. Just, just quite a gnarly scrum half, too, if she wanted to be. But anyway, good luck to her. And if, if we can't win, we'd just love to see her with it. 100%. Good on you, Graham. Great to meet you. Great to have a good chat and get a bit of a sense about Spirit of St. Louis. And these things don't happen overnight. It certainly didn't happen overnight for you or, or for anyone in harness racing, really. So, yeah, best of luck to yeah, night, right. I appreciate it. Like, nice talking. Thank you very much. There is Graham Anderson, the original trainer of Spirit of St. Louis, and yeah, still the syndicate that owned him in New Zealand have kept half. Summit Bloodstock, of course, uh, acquired him and brought him over here. And I'll tell you what, if I wouldn't be surprised that Jamie Turnberg has become pretty good mates with Graham, and he would be right across every single horse that Graham has gotten. Thinking some of those names he rattled off, can't find a better man celebrating and spirit of Arion some to follow over the coming years. Particularly can't find a better man. We saw him up in Queensland. He ran a really, really good race at one stage during the Queensland Carnival. Uh, let's take a break. We're overdue for a break. We'll have a little break here. A couple of short segments. Still got Alison Alford with a curious tale of Sleepy.